The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. So I started to read a lot of like personal development books. And if it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have come out as strong as I am today. And this is why I have such a passion for like coaching and having somebody on your team to support you. Because when I was going through this, the one consistent in my life was my coaching family. The coaching was my saving grace. Like knowing that I had that community and that support there I mean, it made all the difference and it allowed me to really step up and and own the situation versus letting the situation own me. It's a wonderful chaos, random, messy and glorious. Solo or tandem? We work to find rest, we fight to find peace, both head and the heart. And the atheist pray? It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. Today we have Tyler Hall. Yep. And we're going to discuss the experience of having two parents who are meth addicts. Mm-hmm. And what that meant for him on his journey. And this was quite recent, right? He, yeah. he shared that he he had a, a panic attack and what else? Yeah, and basically he had to change his life. So we're going to discuss that was just over a year ago. Yeah. And we're going to hear what his journey has been and how it's feeling like to take care of two parents that can't take care of themselves. And the thing that I really found beautiful when I read the post from Tyler was that he spoke directly about the exact moment when, say, his life sort of came crumbling down mm-hmm. in his reality, and he had his dark night of the soul moment. And that was in, uh, he said, he just told us, March of last year. Wow. So in that year, he's putting on his flight, because he's a flight attendant, was, we'll see if he's still active. But no, he's not. He's putting on his flight attendant uniform, and then he's getting ready to go out, and then all of a sudden he just has a panic attack and drops into a fetal position and just can't breathe. And it's uh, and it's, I think it's those moments when you've suppressed so much for such a long time, and then for some reason that no one can say it's exactly that moment that it all just breaks. And uh, and that was mm. just over a year ago. And so the fact that he's willing and able and and allowing himself to have this discussion that soon after this moment is really already remarkable because I know a lot of times when people have those moments, they talk about them 10 or 20 years later, and it's so much easier to talk about them because they're so far in the past. Yeah. So the fact that he's willing to talk about it now is really sweet. So I thought, let's bring Tyler on. Mr. Tyler. All the way from Fort Worth, Texas, Tyler Hall. Yeehaw, howdy. (laughs) Uh, That was like a foreign language to me, I swear. Really Uh, accurate in the intro. Did we miss out anything? Yeah, is there anything we messed up? No, you guys did. That was a very warm and gracious welcome. Mm -hmm. Mm. Nice, nice. 
Thanks for being with us. Yes, well, thank you for having me. I, you know, as you as you were welcoming me in, I was thinking back to March of last year and and that moment, and huh. it. You actually said it. I've not actually been able to really articulate what happened that day, but you said it perfectly. With like, it was just like a shitstorm of everything hitting me all at once, causing me to just kind of crumble in that moment. And it was like, I actually haven't connect. I didn't connect the two dots until you just gave that introduction. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think when, uh, when I look at anyone's life, it's like, it's being held together often with like glue and, uh, and shoestring. That's like, and then all of a sudden there's just one, more thing and if that one thing then happens then the whole charade is over you know yeah um yeah that's definitely kind of how it felt in that moment because when i was a flight attendant i was still on reserve which means that they can call you at any time of the day and ask you to come to work and you know like you're balancing that hectic schedule with everything that's happening in your life and you're mm -hmm. like it does. It's just like, it's that one, it was that one phone call that just like, it was a grenade that just set off like my whole world. And I remember I was like putting on my uniform and I felt, it felt as if I was like, like in one of those straight jackets. Like I, like I couldn't breathe. I was put like, I was buttoning up the shirt. I was putting on the tie. I was, you know, and I was like, I can't breathe. And what is going on? And I mean, it was just, it, it was it was like a bomb just exploded in my life and and I realized I was like okay this is way more than just I don't like this job <laughs> um, no. there was a lot that was happening in my world and and I mean there's still a lot that's happening in our world and but it was like it was that moment of like realization of like okay I have to become aware of this and not just suppress because I think as humans, that's what we do is we suppress a lot of things and we push it all down until we can't push it any farther down. And then it all erupts. And that's why we get angry. That's why we go off on people that, I mean, it's just little, little bombs that we're always setting off. Mm, wonderful. Like when I hear you speak, it doesn't surprise me that you're a coach because you kind of hit some points, which are that you've gone through it so you can actually support people on that journey. Um, can you speak a little bit, Tyler, about some of the things that were difficult for you to deal with back then mm -hmm. and came up in that moment? Well, yeah, I mean, like, as, as the title said, uh, I was dealing with, I was dealing with having the realization that two people that I've loved and known for my entire life were complete strangers to me. Like when we found, so this whole journey of like figuring out that my parents were meth addicts and were struggling with addictions. Um, they've always struggled with addictions. They've always had, whether it be alcohol, cigarettes, you know, weed. It, I mean, it just progressively got worse and worse and worse. And then I guess somewhere down the line, they were like, Hey, let's try meth. That'll be fun. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've always known that my parents struggled with addictions. I never knew it was as severe as meth. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And there's this stigma around meth that like you hear it and you immediately go, Oh my God, those people must be horrible, horrible, horrible humans. Mm. And it's like, no, they're parents, their mothers, their fathers, their, their employees, their, you know, their daughters, you know? And, and it's one of these things, like I was dealing with like so much of like having to realize that like my parents who I always, my parents were not the people who I always thought they were. You know, you grow up and you think your parents are like these like loving, supporting human beings. And then to realize that they're struggling with all of these, like, you know, all of Demons. these businesses and things that, you know, they hide away in their closets. And it's like, it was just a lot to take in because for me, like my mom was like my favorite human being ever in, in the world. And like, and then to see her struggle with this and to see her go through all of this, like, it's like, I didn't even know who she was. And I felt like I had been lied to for, you know, 26 years of my life. And um, yeah, so there was, there was a lot that was weighing in on me. Um, and I just kept repressing and I just kept like pushing it down and going, you know what, I've got to stay strong. I've got to be here for my sister who at the time was a junior in high school. Um, I had my grandmother who was also going through this, like this was her daughter. Um, And it it was just, I felt like I had to carry the weight of like the entire family. Yeah. You became the pseudo adult in the, in this dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that was a big thing too, was like my parents left, like when all of this came out, like they took off, they ran from, you know, they ran and they moved, they moved back to Illinois, which is where my dad's side of the family lives. And they left my sister who was a junior in, in high school and all of it, like, and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, now I have to step in and make sure that my sister graduates high school. Um, and that she has the resources to think about like her next steps and, and life and all of these things. And I mean, it was, it was just so much like I did. I'm before coming to Texas, I was living in Chicago. That's where I went to school. I moved back to Texas so I could focus on starting my coaching business. And that's when the bomb exploded. And that's when we found out that my parents were addicted to math. So I was transitioning back to Texas. I was dealing with everything that was happening with my parents And then when they left, I now had to raise like a 17 year old. And I was like, wait, I didn't sign up to be a dad. (laughs) Yeah. And so there was just, it was talking about this now, like this is really the first time that I've publicly spoken about this topic. So thank you for letting me come on here and talk about this. But like, there was so many moving pieces and so much happening that like, I just, couldn't even focus on myself. And that was a big kind of aha moment. Mm. Yeah, it's survival, actually. I, I, I wonder, you know, if your brain would even understand what it didn't mean just to survive if you're trying to take care of so many things at once. Yeah, I mean, and that's a big point is like, everything out like all of like, the nor- all of the normal things in life just kind of disappear. Like you're like, that because it happened in 2019 when like the, I call it when the bomb exploded and um, 
that whole year, it was like every single day I woke up going, what else is going to happen today? What? Because there was more, it was more than just finding out that my parents were drug addicts. It was finding out that my mom had stolen from my grandmother. Like there was, I mean, there were so many layers to being a drug addict that it's not just the drugs. And I think it doesn't just affect the person who's the addict, but it also affects every single person within their, within their realm, within their world. I mean, it, it's completely destroyed our, our entire family makeup. How, how is that? It's like when my parents were living with my grandma, when all of this was happening and they were in her house and um, and when this all came out, like my dad took off and my mom followed him and, you know, we found out that some terrible things happened between my mom and, and my grandma in terms of like financial chaos yeah. there. And I mean, so it just, it just drew a wedge between my mom and my grandma. I mean, it, when they, when my parents went to Illinois, they relied on like my dad's sister, uh, and my uncle for a lot of things up there. And like, they, they drove them crazy. And then it like tore, like my cousins used to love my dad. Like they loved when we would come visit. Cause like my dad was coming into town. Like he was the, he was the fun uncle. And now they're just like, I don't want anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. And so like to see like an entire family just explode within the course of like a year it's it's jarring to say yeah. the least. It hurts. Yeah. It hurts. Yeah. And it's and it's you know I I consider it I consider everything that has happened to be I call it the aftermath, not yeah. the math, but the aftermath. And it's literally just every little thing that happens after you know you you find out that addiction is is so prevalent in your family. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the next. It sounds the book like the book title. Go get the URL after the show. I'm work. I'm working on. I'm working on the on the book right now. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Like when when you were like when you were growing up uh, under these conditions as a little boy, can you share with me how how did those little boys' eyes experience and see the world? You know it 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 wasn't until everything exploded and I started to do reflections on my past that I realized that it was always a problem. Like, like drugs and alcohol and addiction was always kind of there as like an eight year old. You don't know what's going on. You just assume, you just assume things are normal. Um, I remember like one specific night, like my dad used to call himself the weekend warrior And he would just, he would always say Friday nights, he would go on a liquid diet and he would just drink Friday nights, Saturday nights, you know, throughout the weekend. And I thought that was normal. I really like, I didn't realize at the time that like, like binge drinking on the weekends wasn't a normal practice. Like that's what I, that's how I was raised. I was raised in that world. And I would just remember like one night my parents were listening they had some friends over and they were partying and it was probably past midnight and I was trying to sleep. 
and they were just blaring white snake like <laughs> i mean it was so loud in in our house the the music was so loud i just I, I just remember like going out and asking my mom to like turn it down and she like laughed at me and she goes we're just having a good time and then turned it up even louder oh wow and and like and i remember like going back to my room and just crying because like the room was vibrating from the sound of the music and they were hooping and hollering and and i thought that was normal you know, you don't realize how unnormal your childhood is until you talk to other people. And like when I started to talk to my friends and be like, yeah, my parents, you know, drank all the time and were loud and screamed at each other. And like, you know, because when they would drink, they would get angry with each other and then they would fight. And, yeah. you know, I remember one time my dad broke a dresser because he was just so angry. And I was like, I thought that was normal. And that's, and that's like the, the real, I think, mind fuck of it all is that you go through your entire life thinking everything has been normal and this is just how the world works. And then you realize, oh no, this is not how the world is supposed to work. And like, this is not, a, a you know, not everybody is like this. I remember because my parents fight, like they they don't just like have little arguments or like disagreements. Like they scream at each other. And I remember talking to one of my mom's friends back when all of this was happening in 2019. And I said, I said, yeah, but like you and your husband, you guys fight like this. And she goes, no, we don't. We argue, we have disagreements, but like we never scream at each other the way I've seen your parents scream at each other. And that was another aha moment of like, oh, so this is not normal. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, we accept normal because that's all we know, but like, it's really not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I had, let's just say I had a lot of, I used to use the, the word violent, but let's for, for, for the, for the show, um, growing up, there was a lot of tension around me. I was being bullied. There was a lot of things happening and I just wasn't able to communicate. Mm -hmm. Like, so growing up, I thought that was normal. And it, it really went up to a point where I thought violence was normal and shouting. And it was only until I met this guy in 2014. He's like, nah, that, that behavior is really not normal. You think it's normal, but it's not. And I had to kind of rediscover and and explore what the another way of living look like and how do i embody that when mm. your whole life has been reactive to our circumstances yes that is a beautiful point there because and i think that's why i do the work that i do now and i think that's why i got into coaching was you know after i realized everything wasn't normal everything like my world wasn't, you know, nothing was, nothing was kind of right in my world. And I, I realized I was like, wow, I had a lot of like, I had a lot of like disempowering beliefs about, 
you know, relationships and love and money. I mean, there were so many like disempowering beliefs that I, that I got from my parents who just were not in their right minds ever in my, in my life. I don't think they were ever like at at a stable place in in their lives and which really screwed up how I saw the world and really screwed up like what I thought to be true and things like that. And so it was, it was one of those things where I, like you said, you have to like go through this, like you have to relearn things. You have to relearn how to live your life and how to like, how to like, you know, talk to people and how to, I mean, just really crazy things, but it's like, it's like all of a sudden it was like, I had, after 2019, I feel like it was almost like an afterbirth of like, okay, the whole world that I've known like doesn't exist anymore. What world do I want to create now? And like, how do I want to actually take control of my life? And how do I want to go about like, you know, growing myself and helping myself become who I actually wanted to be? And, um, yeah. And it was, it was, it was this big moment of like, whoa, like lots of things are about to change in my life. Wow. That, that's really beautiful. Did, did you like, how did you go about that? Because it means you had an introspective to ask that question. And did you, and being a coach, did you look for a coach? You know, it's very, so it's, it's very like, I feel like my whole story is very like serendipitous in that I started coach, like I started training to become a health and a life coach back in July of 2018. I went through this amazing program where, I mean, I started to learn about, you know, how we form habits and how we form beliefs and how we form identities. And I started to really like see that, oh, there's a lot of things that are broken in my life and within me and things like that. And so that training prepared me to take on what happened in January of 2019 when the bomb exploded. And if it wasn't for that coaching training and the personal development work that I had been doing prior to you know, becoming a coach, because when I moved to Chicago, I was free and I got to be who who the hell I wanted to be. And it was fabulous. And so I started to read a lot of like personal development books, started to really learn about, you know, follow people like Tony Robbins and, you know, just people who were living great lives. And I was like, oh, I could have this too. So I think it was all of these layers that really prepared me to handle what came in 2019. And if it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have come out as strong as I am today. And this is why I have such a passion for like coaching and having somebody on your team to support you. Because when I was going through this, the one consistent in my life was my coaching family. Mm -hmm. So I was going through the training and I still had accountability partners. I had coaches that were, that were coaching me and things like that. I had a community of like-minded people. So like, it was really like, the coaching was the save my saving grace, like knowing that I had that community and that support there. I mean, it made all the difference and it, and it allowed me to really step up and, and own the situation versus letting the situation own me. Mm. Beautiful. Sounds like a very nice course. 
<laughs> it, it was, it, it was a beautiful, a beautiful course. And I, it was, you know, that was like the first level of coach training. And then in 2019, when all of this chaos was happening, I said, screw it, I'm going to run away. And that's why I became a flight attendant was to literally run away. Like I got to get on a plane and just escape. It was pure escapism. And it was a way for me to like neglect any and all emotions that I was feeling. And prior to like the big kind of prior to that big, like mental breakdown that I had, like a few months before that I was sitting in the uh, Dallas Fort Worth airport on standby. Like I was just sitting there waiting for crew scheduling to call me to work that day. And I was sitting there going, this is not the life that I want to live. You know, I moved back to Texas so I could pursue a coaching business and it didn't happen because of the bomb that exploded, but like it was still not too late. And I remember just sitting there like in my work uniform going, this is not who I want to be. Like, I don't want to be dressed in a suit and a tie. Like I hate, I hate this. I hate how suffocating the uniform felt I hate that I was at the mercy of like, of like other people and all of these kind of things. And I said, no, this is not the life that I'm going to live. And I remember just having that moment of, of clarity in the airport. And I called, it was the program that I went through was the health coach Institute. And they had the, they had the foundational program, which I went through. And then they had like the mastery program. And I remember just calling and getting on the phone with one of their uh, clarity coaches and just saying, I need to sign up for this mastery program. Like now is the time I need to get back to this community. I need to get back to my foundation. Mm. And I signed up. I like, it was, it, it was the easiest sale they've ever made. Um, so thank you. You know, they can thank me for that. But like, it was, I just, I just knew I needed to get, get reconnected with the community and that was like the first step to like my healing was just getting back to a foundation that I knew was stable and secure. Mm. Um, I, I'm amazed that you, I, like, I don't know this, but I'm projecting that you, you actually never took drugs or used alcohol in a way to suppress yourself. Are you suppressed in another way? No. Um, so I don't, I don't like drugs. Now that doesn't mean I've never tried them. Um, I've, I've smoked a lot of pot. Um, I've drank a lot of alcohol. Um, and, but like it was, I don't like it and I don't like it even more now. Um, I, I am so afraid that because how prevalent addiction is in my family, I'm afraid that I'm going to become addicted to one of those substances. Mm -hmm. And so like, like for me, my vice is alcohol. Like I can binge drink and I'm, a, and that's the thing. Like it's that awareness that you have to have in order to, you know, that's the first part of, of any like self healing journey is like, you have to become aware of like all of these kind of things. But yeah. I'm aware that like alcohol like when I start drinking, I can't stop. And I'm, I have that awareness. And there are nights where I go out and, you know, I have a binger night, but I feel miserable the next day. And 
Um, and I just know that for me, life is too beautiful to like rely on substances to influence the experience of living. Mm. Mm. I'm, I'm really enjoying being with you. Mm. I, I, like I was a drug addict myself for 10 years. Mm. When I came out of it, it was really easy for me to come out of it because once I discovered that I was um, continuing the abuse onto myself, but through drugs, when I had that realization, when I stepped out of it, it was easy because I never also really enjoyed the taste of alcohol. I really hated the taste of any kind of drug that I put in my body. So in a way mm -hmm. it was like, ah, okay. So now let's, let's discover life. And when you're talking, I even hear the, your voice is really sourced from your gut. Like I'm alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and the one thing that has always been kind of my crutch and again, it's all kind of serendipitous how all of this spiraled into, into my life story. Food has always been a crutch for me. And I am, I am and will always be a binge eater. It's not, that's not something that you just heal and never like, like even with addicts, like you're never completely healed. You're never, you know, it's always a part of you. And so for me, you know, binge eating is one of those things. And it's something that I've relied on here in the last couple of years as like a way to just kind of suppress everything. Mm. Like I would just go on a food binge and I would just consume so much food and it would make me feel good. And that, and you know, and that's all I needed to get through the day. And it's so like, God, this is honestly, I'm, I'm having like so many, like, kind of ahas here as we're talking about this that um of like how easy it is to like spiral back into those sources of comfort because for me food was the comfort you know and whenever i was having a, a bad emotion it was like it was like well i'm just gonna go get some ice cream and then i'll eat some cookies and then i'll have you know the cheesecake and then you know and and it was just i'm a sweets person when it comes to that kind of food sweets and fast food i would either go i'd either binge on like a bunch of sweets or i would go get like a shit ton of fast food and just like consume it all and i'm just realizing well damn i slipped back into that here you know in the last couple of years and and that's how really that's really how Oh, I'm, I'm just having a moment. Sorry. Um, and that's how easy it is to just fall back into that space um, and not having that awareness of like, oh, you're doing this. And why are you doing this? And what's causing this? And, you know, all of these questions that like I've learned as a coach to like stop and ask myself it, without that support there, without that somebody there, you know, walking side by side with you like it's really easy to just spiral yeah um you'd be surprised but i, I also resonate with the food part like for a very long time whenever i had a struggle come whatever i would want to eat something to comfort mm. and numb myself out and at some point um it was like you know what 
I'm not going to do this anymore. And it was really, I had to tell myself, I'm going to say no to this. Mm -hmm. what, what happens? Like I go to the supermarket I'll see, like, I, I used to love packets of crisps. Like, I'm walking down the aisle. I'm looking at them. They're looking at me like, yo, over here, man. Take us home. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. And and I pick up the packet of crisps, paprika flavors for before Bulelang asks. And I've been <laughs> looking at it. And I can feel, like, there's, a, there's something in me. And I could feel that the, the addiction, like, I don't want to feel the way I'm feeling right now. And this is going to help me not feel. So I put it back. And the more I listened to that intuition of not going for that kind of food, um, what would happen? I'd come home and I'd sit. I have to force myself to sit even because if I don't, I'll go into my cupboards and I'll find something, even if it's more healthy. And I would just cry. Mm. And... I'd cry and cry and cry, and, and I, I didn't really have a story attached to it, but it just felt all the moments in my life where I was incapable of dealing with something and I suppressed, I just saw the tears as, as an opportunity to release, and I didn't have to understand it. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it's, it's been, it, was, it was quite tough. It still happens sometimes, but because I've, 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 I've really said no to that behavior – um, it's more easy to walk away from it. And um, and having said that, if I want a pizza, which I love, I love pizza, <laughs> I'll wait a couple of weeks. <laughs> and if I really want it, then I'm going to call a couple of friends and say, like, hey, guys, do you want to share a pizza? So in a way, I'll, I'll make it a social thing as opposed to something that I'll go home and eat it really fast and, and be, yeah. So I, yeah. I try to at least celebrate it when I do do it. Well, and I think that's a, a a beautiful thing with food is to use it as a form of celebration. Yeah. Versus, I mean, coming from from being a binge eater, and I know, I know that I know exactly what you're talking about because I used to when I was in Chicago, I used to order Domino's, and I would order like a medium pizza and then breadsticks and i would consume all of that in one sitting like it would just be like like you would start and then you would like i would zone out and then i would just keep going and i like there was no off switch and you know and that's like when i was going through the health coaching training though that was one of the biggest things like food food is a way to celebrate food is a way to like nourish our bodies to honor ourselves um and so having that again coming back to community and having food with that community i mean it's so important um to have people around you to support you on these kinds of journeys there was there was a word that i wrote down about five or ten minutes ago now that it just kept hitting me as you were speaking both of you were speaking and and I've often said, like in myself, if I don't feel like the foundation is there to be and to have the kind of things I want to have in my life, then I start where the foundation is. Mm -hmm. And what I what I heard in your story when you said I went back to do the master course, it was like, oh, I realized that that's the foundation I need to build the life I want to build. And and what I what mm -hmm. I find is really hard is when you don't have the foundation. And then you don't mm -hmm. even know what the foundation would look like. Then you're spinning your wheels because you don't even set 
the stage or the environment to improve in your life. And of course, that changes in time as well, of course. Absolutely. I mean, that is the core of what I do now as a coach is I help people lay a strong foundation for their lives. Um, and I think it's so important. You know, I, I specialize in, in helping like other coaches and, uh, you know, personal brands and things like that really design who they want to be and who they want to become and things like that. But like it, at the same, like, like that foundational piece, like knowing who you are, what you want, understanding your values under like accepting your identity, ex- accepting your existence, accepting your body, like all of these kind of things, like this is really what that kind of foundational work is all about. And really getting to the core of, Hey, this is who I am. And like, and I think this is why I'm so able to, to share these things is because I'm not ashamed of the Mm -hmm. fact that like my parents are addicts and I still love them and I still support them. I support them now from afar. Um, you know, and I, I talk to them and I, and I'm still there to, to, um, you know, to be with them, but like, it's different than when they were here, you know, and, and before all of this happened, but like, that's a, that's the biggest thing is like, I've really, I've let go of the shame. Like I, that that's what makes us humans is that we all have these little dark secrets about ourselves. And we have all of these, like, you know, these not so pretty things. And that's what makes it a human experience. And that's to me, that's what I love about living life is that we all have these skeletons in our closets. We all have problems. We all have, you know, bad situations that we've been in and it's all okay. You know, it is all okay. And, and the more we actually talk about these things and the more we share with other people in community, the more we're able to connect deeper with people. And I think that to me is having a true human experience. When I hear you use the word, okay, we, we have a Facebook group, which was uh, inspired by, uh, by Andy's book, um, The Wounded Healer. And He's going to hold it up because that's what he does. That's what I do. <laughs> <sighs> Wounded Healer people. If you and, read it. and all of the fine bookstores around the world. Yeah. And if you really write a review and in the book, uh, it's like whatever you have difficulty um, embracing in yourself, you make you you make the statement. So I'm not good enough and it's okay. But we took it a step further. I'm not good enough and it's fucking great. So hashtag and it's fucking great. um, For those people that are looking to have a releasing experience. yeah. Yeah, I love that. Mm. Yeah, I I'm right there with you. Like it's like it's fucking great. Like <laughs> you're right. Like that's so that's so much more empowering than it's okay. Yeah, yeah. It took me a while to get there though. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's okay. It's okay. It's like no, it actually has to be it's fucking because I'm still managing it. If it's okay, if it's okay, it's like I'm telling myself it's it was bad, but it's okay. And now it's it, you have to build up. You know, I couldn't have said my mom was killed by a drunk driver and it's fucking great. Like you know, a, until it took me some time to like uh, read through that one. You know? If someone uh, would listen just to that point, yeah, <laughs> he'll be judged exactly. Um, 
Can can you take me back to the moment where you were curled up on the bed as a feeder in a feeder's position, having a panic attack? What was happening for you, and how did you navigate that journey? Yeah, I. So that day, I was on reserve, so waiting for crew scheduling to call, and they finally called, and they always call like. They always call towards the end of your reserve time. So you go through your day thinking, I'm free. This is going to be, I'm, I don't have to do anything today. And then all of a sudden you just get that, that ring and you look down and you see their name and you're just like, I don't want to do this. And, and I remember, I just remember like getting the call answering and being like, they're like flight attendant hall. We have a trip for you. And I was like, okay. And I remember like going into my room, which this is where I'm at right now, my room, and just putting on the uniform. And I remember like buttoning it up and just feeling like I was starting to suffocate. And I remember like my face turned bright red and I went in and my sister was here and I said, Emily, do I look like, do I look like I'm about to explode? I feel like I'm about to explode. And it was like all of this, I don't know, it was like everything felt restricted and I felt like I couldn't breathe and my face was all red and and she goes, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not okay. And I think it was that, I think it was her question, like, are you okay? And that for whatever reason, it triggered something in me and I went, no, I'm not okay. And it was like this whole release of like all of these repressed emotions. And I just started like, I just started like sobbing and like, and like hyperventilating. And I remember just coming in and like curling up on my bed and just like, (sighs) and I, I just like, I couldn't catch my breath. And and I said, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can, I don't think I can pretend that everything's okay anymore. And like, and, hmm. and it was just, it was, it was like everything released. And I, you know, I missed, I missed the flight. Um, I was supposed to fly from Dallas to, to New York. I was actually deadheading, which means they were just going to fly me as a passenger up to New York to work out of New York. And I was and I was like, I missed that flight and crew schedule called me and I, I like ignored the calls and I, I like cried for over an hour. I just couldn't, I couldn't catch my breath. Um, and everything just released that day. Um, and then I quit my job two days later and I, wow. I was like, I can't, I'm not going to do this. Like my life, I knew in that moment that my life was too important to feel this miserable all the time. So from that moment, what else did you say no to? Um, oh, lots of things. So, (laughs) so I remember, so I quit that job and then my grandma, uh, she was like, well, what are you going to do? You have to have a career. Like you, you can't, you have to work. And I was like, I was like, I'm going to work. I'm going to build my coaching business. I'm going to like, I'm going to do my dreams. And she goes, well, that's never going to work. Like you, like it's not like what is she didn't understand what coaching was 
Yeah. I mean, she's 76. She's old. She doesn't understand modern day world, but like, she was like, she was like, well, why don't you just become a teacher? And then I had my aunt also going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go be a teacher. Like the, you, like you'll, there's a certificate, like there's a certification course. Like you just have to, you know, do this class and then you could be a teacher. And I was like, and just to shut them up, I said, okay, yeah, I'm going to go be a teacher. And I started the course. Okay. And again, I got like, 10 minutes into the course. And I was like, fuck this. Like, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be a coach. I love coaching. You know, again, coaching was the one thing that was consistent for me throughout all of this. And it was, it was my saving grace. And, um, and I said, no, I'm not going to be a teacher. I'm not. And I I remember having this conversation with her and I said, I said, I'm going to go be a coach and I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to make this happen. And, you know, I was able, luckily, when I was a flight attendant, I had the opportunity to fly out to Los Angeles and I was a contestant on the prices, right? And I won like almost $16,000 on the, on the show. And so like, I had that as like a little nest egg. And I said, you know what, I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to pursue this coaching business, like with all of my heart and all of my intensity and I just, I just dove headfirst into it. And I said, I don't know where this is going to take me. I don't know what's going to come of this. And, but I said yes to myself and, and I didn't listen to anybody around me. I just kept focused and I kept pursuing the one thing that truly made my heart sing. Thank you. The price is right. I've, yeah. I've, never, I've never had anyone on our show. I've, I've never met anyone that's won money on a TV show. So maybe that could be our next. Uh... I was going to say, <laughs> the price is right. This is like kind of a, a, a shout out to them. You've changed a life. The price is right. Like They really did. That money, that money like nested me through my, my, this, this journey. So, you know, thank you, Drew Carey. There was one thing you said that really like, touched me in a very, very uncomfortable way. Your parents played White Snake in the house. Mm-hmm. Like, how was that to have to listen to White Snake in any moment, even after 12? Okay, so after that, I was terrified of White Snake. And anytime <laughs> they said they were going to play White Snake, I would just, like, cover my ears and, like, cry almost. You know, it was, it was like, it was like, it was a triggering thing. And, um, but I like white snake now. Yeah. I can't tell you a song they sing. I just sort of know like that genre of music, you know, and I kind of think it went from like Metallica and then down to white snake. So anything was down beneath Metallica was getting scary. Yeah. It was, you know, like, I like white steak now and I have no problem with that. I I digress, Bambos. I just needed that because it stuck with me. (laughs) Now, Um, still a classic 80s rock. I love I love that genre of music. So, you know what? What hit me when you were talking and this is what I where I felt emotions come up for myself is when um, is the moment when your sister asked if you were okay, and you said, no, I'm not okay." And what I what I heard come up in me when you said that was all the times in my own life where I didn't feel comfortable saying I'm not okay. And, and it was, Mm -hmm. it was such a weird, uh, just hearing you say that I dawned on me. There's so many times 
when even today, if I think about it, I would just say, I'm okay, I'm okay. But there'll always be something underneath everything where I say, well, I'm not okay. If I, And the more I rise that up in myself, the more, of course, it becomes okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, But I just see that, you know, that there's something beautiful and just acknowledging that you're not okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge, huge thing. Uh, You know, I spent, I've spent years reading self-help books and all of them tell you, you know, Hey, it's going to be okay. You know, and it's, and it's, but like, they don't talk about like first before it can be okay, that you have to accept that it's not okay. Yeah. Um, And I think that, is a very empowering statement to be able to say, no, I'm not okay, but Hey, that's okay. You know, like, like I don't, you know, positive, positive psychology and all of that, like just be happy, you know, kind of mumbo jumbo, like, yeah, yeah. We want to be happy, but there are moments where we're not happy. There are moments when there's a lot of shit happening in our world. There's moments when, you know, the, like everything comes crumbling down around us. And in those moments, you're not going to plaster on a fake smile and say, yep, I'm chipper. You know, you're going to allow yourself to feel the emotions. And that was something that I wasn't allowing myself to do because again, I was in survival mode and I was taking care of my sister and making sure she graduated high school and doing, you know, dealing with my parents and, you know, little bombs dropping every other day kind of thing. Like I I was not, you know, there was no time to process the emotions. Mm -hmm. And I think that that day, that panic attack just allowed me to let release everything. Um, And from that moment, I've been able to talk more openly about these things and to share, you know, my story and, um, you know, and, and, and this moments like this, where we're, where we're connecting, this allows me the space to become even more free and become even more okay with the situation. Um, and yeah. I've got a question about boundaries with your parents nowadays. Like, what is it that you do allow and what is it that you don't allow? Um, well, right now I allow them to have conversations with me. <laughs> we, we have, you, can, you can say hello. Yeah. Yeah. We, and, and, you know, honestly, I'm going to share this with them because I think they need to watch this recording, this, this, this video. Um, I'm going to share the link with them so they can see this um, because they think that it was no big deal. Like in their heads, they were like, they were like, well, I'm the one that was addicted to math. So it's just my problem. It's not just their problem. They don't realize the impact that they had on me, on my sister, on my grandma, on my aunts and uncles, on our, on the cousin, you know, like they don't understand that impact that they had on their whole family. Um, And so, or, or let's also acknowledge that they may understand it, but they just don't know how to deal with it. And that incapacity is what pushes them to continue doing it because at least they get some release through letting go of the pain because it is not easy to confront your demons. Mm-hmm. And the demons were there well before you came along. So in yeah. a way, just this, just the, you know, I've often found 
having compassion for the person who is suffering is something that they can't because they can't give the compassion to themselves. Mm -hmm. So in a way, saying I love you and I understand that this obviously was something you had to go through and it's not acceptable in my life. But that doesn't mean that if a behavior doesn't change, that everything is now going to be settled between us. And I think that's the one thing people don't often get Mm -hmm. is that you can love the person set a clean, clear boundary, which is just that isn't what I'll accept in my life. But if that changes, then there's no reason why we can't connect again. Mm. Exactly. And, you know, so right now, like the boundary is like I have conversations with them and I visit them. You know, they live in Illinois. I'm in Texas. I when I go up there, like I we go up there to visit them. And um, and I and again, I still love my parents. And that's the biggest thing. Like, like most people go, well, how can you still love them after all of this? Well, I mean, they're my parents. They, they birthed me. They brought me into this world. Like I'm grateful that they've given me this experience. And now this opportunity to talk about all of this so openly, um, because it's changed my life. And I know addiction has changed so many others, people's lives. And, um, and it's really a platform that that we need to speak more about. Um, so for that, like I am so grateful for everything that has happened in the last couple of years. Would they acknowledge themselves to be addicts? So if you were to say, you know, I see you as meth addicts, would they say, yes, we are? Or would they say, no, you don't understand? How would they process that? Um, I think... That's a good question. Um, I think, I think they process it as we were meth addicts. Uh, They say that they're clean now. Okay. I don't know if I I can't trust that. Like that's another gray area of everything. They say that they're clean. I don't know if I'll ever believe that. Um, And, and so they look at it as the past. They look at it as like, we were meth addicts, but We all know that with addiction, like, you know, deep down, the addict still lives within you. You know, it's still a part of of that identity. And I don't think they like to identify with that, which I understand. Like, nobody wants to identify with that. But I think... I think for them, if they would just own it and, and then work to grow from that instead of just hiding it deep within them... I think they could really uh, transform uh, their lives. Yeah, I guess that was the reason why I asked, actually, to hear if it was, are they in a transformation phase or in the I can manage this phase? And I hear it's the latter. Yeah, It's the, it's the I can manage this phase yeah. Um, yeah. completely. Are there, are there still moments in your relationship with them where you might get triggered you're not aware that you're getting triggered, then you kind of regress to the little boy. And then you're like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm back there again. And, and yeah. How, yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even getting phone calls from them still triggers me because going yeah. back to go, going go back, back to the moment, help me understand you, you see, they ring, their number comes on your phone. You see it's from them. What happens inside of you? Um, I just get this like, weight in the pit of my stomach of like, Oh God, what else has happened? Ah. Um, because 
a lot of their phone calls are something tragic's happened, you know? Yeah. And like, and my parents in the past two years, they've been together, they've been separated, they've been together, they've been separated. So it's, I never know where they're at in their, in their commitment to each other. And so it's usually like I get a phone call from them and, you know, it's something crazy like, you know, your dad's threatening to kill me and, you know, and then, you know, I talk to my dad and she's and he's like, he's like, well, no, she's just driving me up the, you know, insane and all of these kind of things. They're very toxic for each other. Yeah. Um, and so every time I get the phone call, it's like, what the hell is happening now? And what do you do from like? Like from a space, cause you're coaching now, right? You've got a coach. Certainly you can't coach your parents, right? Because mm -hmm. that's not your life, nor you're getting paid for those hours. Mm -hmm. So how do you like set a boundary where you stay safe and healthy and comfortable after the call and not get absorbed in that craziness? Um, well, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of times, like when I answer the call, like I'll put it on speakerphone and then I'll actually just do other work. So like, and I know it's probably not the healthiest thing to do, but like, you know, it's hold on, hold on, hold on. What? Do you, no, 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 no. Like that's not the health. That is the healthiest thing to do because yeah. anything, anything more you let go in there will totally yeah. like absorb. Yeah. Why, so, would it, why would you let it occupy if, your brain? If, if, if I could, I would like, I would have trigger words like question asked. Okay. Yes. And then let them continue. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Continue. I just had to make sure you did not. <laughs> the the one behavior I'd say, God, that sounds really healthy. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So like I, I, I will put them on speakerphone and like, and, cause that's one way that to kind of create some distance there. And I let them just talk because a lot of times they just need to talk. And then I'll, I'll just go, uh-huh, 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 uh -huh. you know? And so it's a lot of that, but it's like, what kills me about that is there's no emotional connection there. You know, it's not like, it's not like when I used to call my mom and yeah. we would have like, we would, we would gossip and we would laugh and we would, you know, catch up on things. Like when I was living in Chicago, I would call her and we would catch up on life and things like that. Now it's just like, Oh, I have to pick up a phone call for my mom. And that hits me so hard yeah. right here. Yeah. Right here. It sounds like even now today in your relationship, um, you're still the parent. Yeah. It, you're, you're holding that space for them. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely feels like that. It definitely, definitely feels like I parent my parents and then I parent my sister. So, yeah. you know, like, you know, it, it's been a weird, it's, it's been a weird couple of years. Yes. Yeah. When, when you were, when you were speaking just now, it was, it was interesting because I was very much thinking like, you like who, who you, you don't, get to have your childhood in a way because you were taking care of everyone else. And, uh, and, and in that way, there's a, a weird morning that I've had to go through because both my parents have died. Um, and, and in a strange way, you, both of your parents have died, mm -hmm. not physically because they're still there, but mm -hmm. like the, the, the needs and the wants of 
what I've seen in myself and others that I'll be around or working with is that once they can no longer go to that mom or dad and be the little kid, then there's part of them that's lost. And, and, and that's what I I hear in your story. You, you said that perfectly. Um, I feel like, I feel like I mourned my parents two years ago and I'm still mourning them. Um, and it makes it even harder because they are physically here, you know, but that emotional attachment is no longer here. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously people who, who have their parents going through Alzheimer's have a similar experience because they are physically there, but they're mentally lose their faculty. So mm-hmm. it's always weird. It's always a different shape and form of how we lose our, our parent or the, the, the ones we felt we could rely on. And I remember when my dad died because my mom died sooner was like there was always that feeling in life like if everything went really, really bad, I could probably fall back on him for help. And when there was like no more backstop, it was like, oh, I can only fall back on myself for help. There was a a real deep sadness. And then, of course, uh, letting myself make peace with that. There was a deeper, uh, uh, I would say, almost a a well of, uh, of comfort. Because it's mm-hmm. in that peace that you kind of come to this planet alone and you leave it alone. That's the real deep peace. The fact that I'm dependent on my parent to be happy is already a little bit shaky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Thank you for being with us. We've gone over our hour. So it's been great having you. It's been really great having yes. you. Yes. Thank you for having this space. Like like I said, this is this was as much as, as a release as, as it was being able to give something, you know, uh, back. So I appreciate you guys holding the space for me today. Mm. I, uh, I'm grateful. Cause it's funny when someone accepts such a horrible show title, <laughs> I, I, I know that, that they can uh, like sit with us through whatever's going to come up, you know, like, uh, if it needs to be some esoteric, how I gain spiritual awareness through a rough childhood, like something so generic. I'm like, oh, no, that's not going to be the title of the show, you know? Yeah, Andy likes to get down and dirty and gritty. The real things that happen and the honest, uh, the honest like pains and sufferings that we need to go through, that's, that's what gets me uh, curious. Yeah, yeah. And, I'll, and I also see this title in a way, like by stating in the way we did, it's like when you enhance it, it's, it, it's also like if you can't laugh at it, yeah. Then it means there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. true. You know, again, I I look I look at it now and I yes, there's still a lot of healing going on, but it's so bizarre to think <laughs> that here we are on on this you know, on this stage right now talking about the fact that, you know, both of my parents are meth addicts and that <laughs> that is the reality of my life and but it, but it, you know, it, it's not a bad thing and it's uh, not a, it's not a, oh, pity me thing. It's just yeah. like, these are the facts. Like that yeah. is, that is a fact and it no longer defines who I am. And, and it's <laughs> what I find beautiful in our, in our connection, mm-hmm. um, like the space holding like there is no judgment. Like I, it's funny. Like when I detect myself, I, I don't feel anything towards his parents. No. If you think about it, like we all have our suffering and we all have our coping mechanisms. And in our coping mechanisms, there are repercussions for people around us, for our children and for our relatives and for our work lives. And so those are 
the, that's the cost of us not being able to address it in any other way. Mm. And then as we make different decisions, like Tyler said, I am going to put a foundation in place through doing the master course. Like all of a sudden we break that cycle because, you know, if we were just discuss with Tyler's parents and had them on the show, they would tell us about their childhoods and the suffering they had to go through. And whatever that suffering looked like, it takes different shapes and forms. And this addiction is certainly in, in some ways a reaction to that. You could have the compassionate view and then say, and yet the behavior is unacceptable. Yeah. So this is not going to work. So you can be compassionate and uh, enforcing. And that's uh, that I find that life to be very, beautiful very beautiful balanced. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for uh, sharing this time. Thank you. It's a wonderful chaos. We like it that way. <laughs>